0: Hey guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, maybe it was on Instagram or TikTok, maybe someone shared it with you. I don't run ads answer the show or have sponsorships, so the only way this grows is through word of mouth. If this was valuable for you in any way, my only ask is if you could share this with someone who you think would help their investing journey or business. Thanks a lot, and let's get to the episode. Welcome back to STR Like the Best. I'm your host, Michael Chang. It's my great pleasure to welcome my friend, John Mianchi, to the show. John, thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it. So John is one of the foremost experts on how to use data to drive Invest decisions in short-term rentals i'm super super excited about this conversation john and i met a few months ago and we immediately hit it off he we had breakfast together and he opened up his laptop and started walking through what he did and i was like oh someone else that does that looks at the world exactly the way i do i've got to know him and i think this will be a really interesting conversation but before we dive into the numbers john used to operate some airbnbs in chicago so john
1: regale us with what was one of your most memorable guests most memorable guest one time I had a so in Chicago, obviously it there's gangs in Chicago and there's violence and whatnot on the south side of Chicago. All my properties were on the north side of Chicago. And it turns out, I found I figured this out that sometimes the people from the south side will book Airbnbs on the north side because to, to hide out. That's <laughs> something that will happen, which is something you have to learn how to vet and deal with when you own Airbnbs in Chicago. But, anyways, I had a group of young drug dealers, who actually stayed at one of my Airbnbs and just partying. And I ended up having to try and kick them out. It took me almost half a night to be able to kick them out. It was just me by myself. And there was like 12 of them. But I had a conversation with one of the guys and he was honestly super, super nice. But they just were not the ideal guest because they were partying and blaring music and everything but i ended up talking to the one guy for like half an hour and he told me he's like, man there's just grown men trying to kill us on the south side and so we hide out on the north and i'm like all right man stay the night but get out in the morning and they did they actually were a little bit more respectful after that after we talked for that while and they left in the morning and it was all fine but that was easily the most interesting guest i've ever run up against
0: man man yeah yeah Every time I ask this question, I never know what I'm going to get. But it's good. It sounds like it all worked out. Another point for guests vesting, vetting. Although, to be fair, they had a party. You talked to them. They stopped. Yeah. You know,
1: it- yeah. So I actually figured out that what a great rule is to not let anybody that lives within the city stay inside yeah. your homes. And the reason being is because their friends can drive to the Airbnb. So nobody can be within driving distance to your Airbnb. They all have to fly in. That was my rule for <laughs> Chicago. Yeah,
0: Fair enough. That's a good rule. Yeah, no, that's a really good rule to have actually on the, actually that's the rule that we have is if it's a book, if it's the last minute booking on the weekends and they live within close to Philly, we vet those a lot harder because the probability of them having a party is way higher to your point. Yep. Why are you exactly. running an Airbnb in the same city? And then your friends can just drive and Exactly. There?
1: The company Sonder, which is almost like a billion dollar company now, that was their rule of thumb. You can't book it. And if you live within the city and I was like, I'm just going to, use that and it worked extremely well. I got rid of all of my parties, all of my issues. It was super rare that it ever happened. So just a quick little tip from a fun little story. Yeah. Uh, before actually, before we
0: jump into it, you used to, op, so what happened to those units? Those 15 units did you? <laughs> COVID? Unfortunately,
1: okay. yeah, it's a combination of two things. So COVID, when COVID hit, I had half of them were rentals, half of them were management properties, and I rented out every single one of them for a year-long lease once COVID hit because absolutely no revenue was coming through in Chicago. And but at the same time, I was at this breaking point where I either was going to continue to build a business or walk away. And I had somebody who just offered to buy the business. And so they offered to buy me out and it was a good deal. It allowed me to pay everybody back and whatnot. And so I took that deal. In other words, okay. I took the easy route out. And honestly, it's one of my biggest regrets of selling off that business. The guy I sold it to, completely ruined the business, ran into the ground in under a year. Wasn't able to get all the money from it. It was like getting blood from a stone, just not going to happen. And it was, it went terrible to be honest, yeah. um, which is really upsetting, but a lot of learning lessons from it. And if anyone ever is trying to sell a business, I know how to do it, but talk to a business broker and make sure that you work with some a business broker to make that happen. So that's what happened to my Airbnb business. And I'm currently trying to rebuild it back up, but this time I'm trying to buy all the properties and rather than rent them or manage them.
0: And it's a perfect segue to our conversation. And be, before I move to the point, you are talking to an MA banker or, pro, or a former MA banker. If you ever need a, anyone ever needs a business broker advice, if you, if you give me a shout and yeah. dust off the old playbook. But no, looks great. As you, and it's great to segue into kind of the meat of the conversation on, for you, obviously, now that you're looking to restart your business by buying properties and leveraging data to do that. You are the Airbnb data guy, right? And then a lot of people kind of represent that they know data, but I've actually seen your work and folks like this guy really actually knows what he's talking about. Tell us a little bit, just a little bit background. How did you get into data analysis? Like how did this become your calling professionally now?
1: Yeah, so I will go, I will explain how I got to this point. I just wanna explain where I am right now so that people understand. I am the head of data for TechFester. And TechFester is the largest short-term rental investment fund in the United States. We've bought almost hundred properties so far, and mm-hmm. we've raised almost like 45 million to $50 million so far. And we've been up for, we've been open for about 16 months. And it's my job to identify what's the absolute best market for us to go into. What's the best thing for us to purchase within that market? And how do we maximize the revenue of that property? That's what I do during the day with TechFester. However, I also have a Airbnb data consulting company that I run in the evenings, which helps people learn my processes and be able to buy profitable properties. And I've got four free courses on YouTube that also teach people everything about Airbnb data. So I live and breathe Airbnb data, right? Just like a little credibility. So people understand like how obsessed I am with this stuff, but how I got to this point is honestly, I was talking about this yesterday. The reason I'm so obsessed with the data is because of all the mistakes that I made. So the very first home that I got up and running, I didn't even know that AirDNA existed and I just looked at the calendar and then went and got it and I lost money on that property. Then the next time I learned that AirDNA existed and I went and got another property, but I didn't know how to navigate the data well and I lost money on that property. And then started getting more obsessed with it and learning how to navigate this data to be able to make good decisions. And then I was able to understand Chicago extremely well, open up four properties within two months and all of them cash flowed well, right? And then I was able to compound that and open some more. But then, you know, that gets you so far where it's, okay, it worked out. Now let's go into another market and do it again. But then I go down to Scottsdale thinking I know everything about Airbnb data. And I get down there and I ended up opening up two properties that both didn't have a pool heater and both the properties didn't make money. And so I made the mistake again. So it made me even more obsessed because I made the mistake again of being like, okay, I can't miss these tiny little details because they make all the difference. And uh, that really led me to just, to building out a process and a system to ensure that if I were to be making a decision like this again to actually buy a property or get a property or help somebody get a property that I truly was vetting it all the way through and wasn't missing anything. And I was doing this for myself. And then what happened was I started to help some people and then those people started referring people like crazy. And then I made a little course, didn't know how to sell, threw it onto YouTube and it all just started compounding from there. More and more people started reaching out. More and more people started talking to me. I always say that I created a consulting company without trying to, it just happened. And then I got this position with techfester to allow myself to be wrapped around Airbnb data to continue to enhance my skills in the data scene. So that's the sort of long and short of how I got to the point of being the Airbnb data guy.
0: Got it, yeah, no, that, that's great. And I think there are always bumps and bruises along the way and I think the perseverance to stay the path and become a real expert in your craft. I think that's what creates the expertise and you've done it for yourself and you're obviously doing it for a tech investor. So talk tell us a little about your process. This is a these details matter, right? That pull went out. If you don't have a pool heater in Scottsdale, that hurts you. How do you think for the listeners out there, AirDNA, is, it's daunting, right? There, it's, yeah. There's a lot of numbers going on. How Walk us through maybe in 30, 45 seconds. From hmm. a top level down, how do you go from... I don't know where to start to, okay, this is an, a market that I, this is a market that I, I could be interested in. You know, look, okay. I don't you're want saying, you to give all your secrets out, but just yeah, yeah, a yeah. little bit, of, give us
1: a part of the recipe. I'm laughing a little bit because you said 30, 40 seconds, tell me everything. <laughs> I'm like, I've got four courses on YouTube that are hours long. <laughs> you're, so you're asking, are you asking, how do you decide on a market? Because that's one Yeah. Thing. Like,
0: just how do you go and look for a
1: market? How do we use RDNA to, to look for a market? Okay. There's If you're not buying, if you're not paying for AirDNA and you're just looking at it.
0: You're paying for AirDNA, rental arbitrage.
1: Perfect. Okay. If you're paying for AirDNA, it's a lot easier. And what you want to do is you want to, you said rental arbitrage? Yeah. That's just for instance. Okay. Okay. So the way that I would do it is if I were to go using AirDNA... There, there's a thing called top properties on the RDNA, right? Which allows you to see the best performing Airbnbs. Now, the reason I like using this is because most Airbnbs are really poorly put together. And then there's always a handful that are actually done well. And so, what you can do with that top properties option as well is you can narrow it down just to just the four bedrooms that allow 10 guests. So, if there's 500 four bedrooms, they're only going to show you 12. But if you narrow it down to the four bedrooms that offer 10 guests, that's going to, there's that's only like maybe 80 of those. And then that, you're seeing the top 12 of those 80 and that tends to be like the best of the best and where I want to be and where you should want to be as well. And so what you can do is you can take a look at those top properties, get an understanding of how much revenue is being made for those properties. And you can do the same thing, 11 guests and 12 guests, and it gives you a range for these four bedrooms. And then you have a general idea of how well a four bedroom will do if you do it right. And then you can go and look on online to figure out what the rent would be for a four bedroom within that area, and then quickly do the math. So the rent's gonna be 3,000, let's say 3,500, which means my total expenses are gonna end up being around $65,000 a year, but I'm seeing that these properties are making 80 to $100,000 a year. That's enough of a profit margin for me to be able to invest in that market. Right? And then most of the time you're gonna find that it's not gonna do that. Most of the time you're gonna be like, okay, my expenses are 60,000 and the properties are making 60,000. All right, yep. doesn't work, move on to the next one, right? Yeah.
0: That's yeah. great. That's a great. That's a great way to to shortcut that pro. Not shortcut the process, but a great way to get to the most profitable properties in the most efficient way possible. So I'll tell you the way that I do, it, and it's slightly a little different. The way that I do it is, I'll look at we'll look at a property. I actually will look at. I'll, I'll go a little higher level actually because. What i want to do is see where the property which markets are the most profitable or sorry which markets are the most attractive maybe not the most properties that are the most profitable and i'll look at the supply and demand i'll use AirDNA. dna i'll look at the supply and demand dynamics i'll look at historical occupancy how that's changed over year i'll look at adr growth and see and then paint a picture for myself on is there more supply and has occupancy gone up or down okay it's gone up why and then i look at demand and supply and says hey demand's grown by 50%, the supply's grown by 20%. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Then that's why occupancy's higher. And then if I look at ADR growth, it grows like 10%, then it's okay. Well, look, it's checked all three boxes. And I've, I at least I can validate to myself that this is a market that is attractive. And then you go do the work and say, okay, if you're getting positive headwinds in this market, then I'll look at individual properties and then actually hmm. kind of similar actually- to what you're doing. And also I have a few other things that I do, but then I'll look for properties that, allow for airbnb and then i'll underwrite it that way
1: curious to get your thoughts yeah i would actually i think you put it nicely i think you might be going backwards and the reason being is because you could check out a market to see if the, the supply and demand the adr if it's increasing the occupancy all that stuff is great but all that matters at the end of the day is will a property cash flow here? Then if, it's, if the answer is yes to that, then you would then vet to make sure that it's a market that is thriving and not dying, yep. which is that step there. So to personally, I think you should reverse it and go look at the properties first, see if there is any sort of profit margin to be made within those properties by checking the top properties and backing it up against what's on Zillow, and then be like, okay, there is. All right, now, is this a good market or not? Because the reason is that you could check a market, it could look like it's a good market, it could look mm-hmm. like it's moving in the right direction, and then you go and check, and there's just not a lot of money being made across those homes, and there's no profit margin to be made no matter, the either the home prices are too high or the revenue is too low. And Yeah, an instant I'm sorry, be- go ahead. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah. It's- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, look, I think here there's different, they are different approaches and I appreciate your feedback there. And that's why I was like really looking forward to this conversation. I think for on the Airbnb arbitrage sides, I think if I was buying, I think I may look at it slightly differently just because, you know, it's a little more one, you can buy wherever you want versus arbitrage. You have to actually be able yeah. to scalability, actionability are big factors. So I think for me, I want to cast a wider net versus being like, Hey, these properties in this area actually should do well. If they don't do well there, then I, I, then I'm stuck. Right. Then it's okay. Then these don't make sense and I need to move on a different property. Whereas if I look at from a market perspective, if that's profitable there, then I can go and outreach within that market to find stuff that may work or not. And then I, <clears throat> and then I underwrite the property. And for that, I, for arbitrage that, and for, and from my experience, has worked well. But again, there's different. I think everyone has a di- their own different approach. But it's great to hear that's how you that, that's how you look at the world. Just to continue moving on. So when you're looking at these individual properties, on do you, what do you think about Air DNA? Do you like the data? Do you, what kind of confidence do you based on your experience now using it for so long? Do you
1: have in in the data? So the thing is, I use AirDNA like almost every single day, but I also use my own tool and I use another tool as well. And AirDNA. What's your own
0: tool? What's the Airbnb guys secret tool there?
1: Yeah, that's the, I refer to them as profit maps. So I have access to raw data that allows me to essentially clean out all the data and then organize it and sort it into a really easy way to navigate all the data for a market. So let's say that you're trying to pick apart Chicago and figure out where's the best place to invest. I have a report that I put together, which allows you to very easily do that. And then I also provide the, this training that's free, that allows you to understand my process of how to navigate a profit map to be able to find a profitable property. So the way that I like to explain this, okay, it's my tech stack top of the lot top, top is STR insights, so if you don't know what market to go into use STR insights to help you narrow down where might be a good market to go look. Right. Once you have a general idea of a couple of places that you're considering, I use AirDNA to see at the top level is, does this, could this market actually work? Like we were just talking about supply, demand, ADR using the top properties to look at it from a high level that goes, okay, this is, that tells me that, yeah, that might actually work. And then I use profit maps to get really granular, get into the details, get into the weeds, get into the properties and try to figure out where within the city, the most money is to be made exactly what the property needs to look like, the size of it, the, how to maximize revenue and exactly what's the best thing to purchase. So it's a three-step. I have no idea where I want to go. Yeah, it, and then getting into the nitty-gritty detail.
0: So we actually, we didn't talk about STR Insights. That how do you so why do you use STR Insights to do that first level, near, that very top of the funnel versus your the profit maps or Air DNA?
1: Because the profit maps and Air DNA don't try to solve what STR Insight solves. So they do different things, right? So. SDR Insights is literally built to help you find the market to invest in. Okay. So it's using a lot of high-level data from every single market and then putting it in a display that allows you to see each individual market side by side. Okay. And then they rank it based off of the purchase price to revenue. Right. Now, AirDNA, you can't see a list like that through AirDNA. You have to nope. type in the location to figure out the data on that. Right. So it's almost impossible to rank them unless you can keep all of those numbers in your head, right? And so anyways, so AirDNA is not built to do that. It's built to help you navigate the high-leveled information of one's particular city and then top profit maps is very specific to that one city and all the data in that city. And it's Love built it. in a spreadsheet and it gets into the nitty gritty detail.
0: I think like you explained it really well, being able to use different data tools at different points of the process because they're all optimized for different things. So do you, look? Like, I mean, for personally, I, like, I do arbitrage, right? Where rent arbitrage for folks that don't know is a strategy for Airbnb investing where you rent an apartment. And with the landlord's written permission, you re-rent the apartment on Airbnb, VRBO after you furnish it, and then you make it into a nice short-term rental, and you have permission from the landlord to re-rent that. Whereas from buying, that's much more straightforward. You identify a property, you buy it, you own it. There's a mortgage on it generally, but you do the improvements and then you rent it out. <clears throat> and John, I know you, don't, you said you did some arbitrage before in Chicago. You obviously work for a fund that... Pre- They own explicitly, right? right? They don't do an arbitrage. So do you see, and I'm really curious on this, your answer here. I'll give you a second too. Would you use data tools differently for if you were looking at arbitrage versus buying? No, the answer is no. Okay. So you would still use SCR Insights to
1: find a profitable arbitrage market. Okay. Because you can't purchase price. Yeah, because I was thinking I use AirDNA, so AirDNA and Profit Maps. I use the exact same way to buy properties as I did for arbitrage. So it's the exact same. But for SDR Insights, when it comes to I've never used it for rental arbitrage, okay. but it is. It's made Kenny literally built it for investors. That's his whole thing. He's I'm an investor and I built this for investors. So he's, he didn't say I'm an arbitrage guy and I'm building it for arbitrage people. Yeah. so it's not building. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. Yeah. I
0: and mean, I'm just I, I was actually just curious if you thought that would be appropriate as well. Look, they're, they're definitely different tools are optimized for different things, right? Yeah. I think a lot of it as it as an analyst, as investors, finding the right tool for the right job is actually a lot of, it's like a huge thing because if it's suboptimal, you're, not, you're probably like doing too much work and not getting the right output. Okay, so let's continue to move on. For buying, for example, I think you brought up the point about when you were in Scottsdale, right? Like you didn't have a pole heater and it didn't make money for you. So mm-hmm. how do you actually like how'd you come to that conclusion? I'm very curious. Like, how'd you realize that oh shoot, I should have <laughs> should have installed a pool heater, right? Pull heaters yeah. are like, I don't know, what ten, twenty ten thousand well, not probably not that much. How'd you come how do you come to that how'd you
1: come to that conclusion? The sad thing about the sad thing about getting an Airbnb that isn't going to work is that it takes a year to figure out that's not going to work. <laughs> You, gotta, it, it, yeah. <laughs> you run it for an entire year. You do everything that you possibly think of to maximize the revenue. You get to the end of the year and you realize you didn't hit the number you thought you were going to hit. And you're like, oh, I didn't make any money. And I just worked an entire year. It and it's draining and, and it's an arbitrage property, which means I had no equity in it. And I threw $20,000 plus into the property. In other words, I worked for an entire year and lost $20,000. So, so I'm like, okay, I did something wrong. That's step one after that year period where you realize that. And then the... What you have to start doing is start thinking to yourself, okay, what exactly did I do wrong? And that's where you're taking the guest feedback. And you're also starting, that's where you start when I started to dive even deeper than I used to into the specific properties. So first off, the guests were always complaining that there was no pool heater. That was the number one complaint. They're like, even in the summer when it's crazy hot, people don't really care. But the thing is that it's only crazy hot for three months and the rest of the time it's like just hot or warm. But the pool no. itself doesn't heat up the way that you would want it to, where you can just easily go into it. And so the issue is that everyone was complaining about the pool heater. And then I go, to, I go and start looking at all of my competition, the people I'm going up against that have the exact same bedroom, bath in the exact same neighborhood, everything. I'm realizing that almost in all their titles or in the description, it's saying pool, pool heater everywhere. No. And so the way that I think about it is if everyone's complaining about a pool heater and they book to the home, most people who are probably smarter about this and like, thoroughly checking, like, let's make sure this property has a pool heater are going to my competition first, regardless if my property was designed better or had better photos, or maybe even had more amenities. They're like, doesn't have that number one thing, which is because we're not going to be able to use the number one amenity, which is the pool, at least not comfortably in the way that we want to. And so then therefore it's not a property we're going to rent. And so they're almost always going to choose the one that has that, even if it's a lesser property. So that was the sort of conclusion that I came up with. And it's been proven over and over again with Techfaster every single property we buy we the first, if it doesn't have a pool heater very first thing we do is put a pool heater on okay. 100% yeah, yeah
0: no. i was in long island over mother's day and yeah the we forgot to turn the pool heater on the first day and it was like oh man this is like really uncomfortable and then we <laughs> made sure to turn it on the second day and it's like, oh you really do get to enjoy the pool way more yes. with the pool heater the but i think the question here is how do you know, like, how do we investor? How can investors sidestep your mistake?
1: Yep, and I'll explain how I sidestep it nowadays. Right, you got to use. Obviously, we're using the data. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty detail of the data, and we have individual property information on each one of these listings. So, I take so. If I, let's say I'm going into a market. I'm going to take all the data for four bedrooms for that specific location, and then I'm going to make sure that I'm just using good data, and then with that good data, and I can talk about good data, talk about every single podcast, but with the good data, I literally open up every single listing and I review everything that I can about that listing and I make notes on every single property. I've been doing this for years now and I literally was like yesterday, even before we hopped on this call, I'm writing out the what the type of home of what it looks like. Essentially, the frame of the home. So the things that I can't change about that home. So does it have two living rooms? Does it have one living room? Does how big is the backyard? Does it have a pool? Does it have all these things that are structural structure that I can't really change? And then I'm also making notes on all the amenities and features that they've added to the property. How well did they design the home? How well did they photograph it? Do they have a hot tub? Do they have? Did they insert a mini putt into the backyard? Depending on the market, right? So. All of these things, then I'm keeping track of all of those things. And then I'm trying to keep track of stuff that is unique that I'm seeing in like the titles that are being pointed out. So as an example, it's close to this lake or it's one minute drive from here or we're close to the mountain or we have a pool heater or we have a golf cart for you because those usually the most important things are always going to be in the title and obviously the description as well. So the way that I get around making this mistake is by literally making notes on every single last thing about every property that is good, a good piece of data that I'm going through so that I don't miss anything. So that as I'm going through, I'm not missing anything. Because if you just look at a property, you're like, oh, it's pretty pictures. It's got all these different things. But once you start writing it out and start Mm -hmm. taking notes of these different things, what you'll start to realize is two things. One, you're going to start picking out little stuff that you probably would have easily skipped over. And then two, you're you're going to start noticing what everybody has. Mm -hmm. You're going to see what starts coming up over and over again. This is a kind of a crazy example from yesterday. I was looking into a new market yesterday, which is Baldwin, Michigan. I was doing an evaluation for a client and every single listing had a really big fire pit area. Like when I'm talking about really big, like enough for 10 to 12 people to sit around. Oh, wow. It was like, it was, they were all huge, like big, massive fires, fire pits in the middle. And it was like the focal point of each of these different backyards. But the crazy thing is usually you get like a one-off person that does that, but every single one of them had these like massive fire pits and my client bought a home and it didn't have a massive fire pit. So I'm like, Hey, make sure you put down a really (laughs) big fire pit, right? And it's gotta be big and competitive, super unique to that specific listing or that specific area. But I figured it out because I was writing out fire pit. And then as I'm writing fire pit, I'm like, that, is a really big fire pit. They go the next one, that's also a really big fire pit. What are the odds of that? Two really big fire pits. And then you start seeing it like five times and you go, okay, this is something that matters in this market, right?
0: So John, so on that point, as an AirDNA user myself, and then obviously you on Airbnb as well, but it's really hard to go and get a list of all the properties in Baldwin, Michigan, but you have a, how do you get all the data? How do you get that granular level data? Is it, do you pay for it through a
1: service? Are you collecting the VAs, running it for yourself? That's all me. That's okay. my com- that's my company. <laughs> that's, okay, great. That's what we do. So I my my Airbnb data consulting business, one of its main products is being able to get you all that granular data and being able to once again clean it, sort it and organize it into a format that makes it very easy to go through, which is I what I re- I refer to that as a profit map. And the reason mm-hmm. it's called a profit map because it allows you to find the profit within any market very easily. And the way it's set up, in my brain, it looks like a map because you can see all the zip codes, you can see yeah. all the bedrooms, and you can see where the most money is being made very quickly.
0: We got to get an example of one of these so we can actually see in real life next time. And then I think another, I think a couple of things that people really get hung up on when it comes to analysis. And I think the biggest one is paralysis. Yes. There's so much out there. And obviously, you're really good at this, right? You see the numbers in a way that maybe other people don't. I think a lot of people, they just, they get intimidated and just say, hey, there's just all this information. I don't know how to, inter- I don't know how to organize it. I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know how to action on it. So tell us a little bit about how someone can, and specifically for STR, short-term rental, Airbnb, like, how do you avoid or avoid paralysis? Or if you're in it, like, how do you pull yourself out and actually do something instead of just staring at your keyboard and bang your head against the table?
1: So I want to start off first. You, you said that, A lot of people don't know how to interpret it they just don't know how to make sense of what they're looking at things like that i want to talk about that for just a second then i'll hop into that because i don't have a formal data background i'm just i just got obsessed with airbnb data for whatever reason i love it and i learned how to use it i learned how to make sense of it and i realized that there are so many people out there that want to do airbnb and have no idea how to interpret the data to make good decisions and so that's why i've made multiple courses for free on YouTube that teach you how to make the data simple to then be able to make decisions, right? So I just going to start off with that where, yes, I can explain it right now in this podcast, but there's hours of content on my YouTube channel. Just look up my name, you'll find it. And you can go to the Profit Map Masterclass is the best thing to go through. That's going to make it simplified and easy for you to be able to make actionable decisions. Once again, I built that because I talked to a lot of people who had no idea what there was, what was going on. Okay. I'll build something to help them. And that's that's what's out there.
0: We'll make sure to like your YouTube channel in the show notes here. So for folks that easy to find, but I guess maybe just, if you can distill it to, if we can distill it down just for folks that are stuck right now on where to invest. And obviously you have the profit mar- profit maps that you can do but just like how like what's some kind of homework what's some desktop work that they can do yep. to just make some just to help them educate themselves so they can just move up, just move forward in their products in their respective processes
1: yeah the way of the so with tech fester we look at so many properties and we had to after sorry after looking at so many properties and underwriting so many properties we started to realize that if the home was if the revenue wasn't 20 percent of the purchase price it wasn't going to cash flow for us or it wasn't going to hit our numbers and Perfect. so that's and so we refer to this as the 20 percent rule therefore if a home costs five hundred thousand dollars it needs to make a hundred thousand dollars for it to work for techfester now techfester has some additional fees that we have because we're a fund we're scaling most people don't. And so, usually, the 15% rule will work for other people. It's a very simple term price to rent ratio. It's been used forever. But we've just come to realize that instead of going and doing a, an underwriting on every single property across all these different markets, yep. you could simply just use this 20% rule and be like, okay, if I can find a property that meets that 20% rule, then I would be able to most likely cash flow with this property. And I have Analyzed so many markets. I have, I can. It's 277 markets since January alone. I just recently did a count and reviewed all these different markets to try to find places that could support the 20% rule and actually allow us to cash flow well in these locations and be able to buy multiple properties in these locations. Because there's a lot of little one-off places where you can get one property and hit 20%, but you can't get 10. So, that's one little piece of criteria here. Now, that's with great. that, so money,
0: think, let's, let's pause yeah. here for a moment. So, I think that's great. So, folks, you know, where you're getting stuck, right? And people get stuck on this property is really pretty or it's really far, or it's really close. I think these rule of thumbs are really important, especially in real estate where the inventory is so disparate. You need to have certain guidelines, like the 1% rule, for example, for rental properties, right? Yeah. For the folks that are long term rental investors. So, this, so John's laid out a, a very good rule of thumb for tech. If you're investing institutionally, that 20% rule. My, my banking, we actually flip it in banking. It's actually kind of like a five times rule. The way I think about it, actually, is like a five times rule. So, if it doesn't, if it's less than five times, then you know that's something I like. If it's more than not, but let's use your formulation. So, if you can't do, if it's 100k of cash flow, you can't. Pay, you shouldn't pay more than 500 thousand. If you're an investor, if you're like an institutional of, investor, but for us gross, individuals, gross revenue, not cash flow, of gross revenue. Yeah. And that's, and that's another great, that's actually, thank you so much for bringing that up. But yeah. as a, as an individual investor, we don't, there's a lot of costs and stuff that they don't apply if you're not a fund. So if you can find a property, for example, that's, that does $150,000, you can pay up to a million, right? So if you want to go back to half a million, then it needs to do at least $75,000 of gross revenue. For you to pay a half million dollars so yeah. gross revenue again is a really these are where people really get mixed up and make really easy to avoidable mistakes gross revenue includes cleaning fees it is not yes. a pass through it's nah. not like taxes or airbnb fees like you have to count it within your revenue that's money that you're collecting right yeah. you are paying your cleaners but you're collecting that include cleaning fees in your revenue numbers 150 if you want to do, if you want to pay half a million, it has to do at least $75,000. If not move on and continue yep. the work, John, go ahead.
1: And what I was going to say with that, with the whole cleaning fee thing. I hate when people say Oh, cleanings just pass their expense. It's No, it's not. It's actually a revenue stream most of the time. So most of the time you can for my homes in Chicago, I used to put the cleaning fee around two fifty, and I would charge hundred. I would pay my cleaners $125. And so then therefore I was making 50% of all that money. I, if I counted it as a pass-through, I would have been underestimating by quite, quite a bit and wouldn't have been able to get the homes that I actually ended up getting. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a pass-through. Know your a- market. <laughs> yeah. Know your market. But to continue on this, the main thing, I really want to get this across where it's like, how do I stop analysis paralysis? And the first thing is understanding that the 20% rule, right? Generally, if you, if it hits 15 to 20%, you're in a good position. Now, what i would challenge anybody out there to do is to try and find a home that meets the 20% rule cuz that's not easy to do in the first place, right? It's a, I do it all day every day, it's a very difficult thing to actually find. And so when you're trying, when you're sitting here and you're like you can't make a decision and you're not sure if you should get the home or if you shouldn't get the home and you're going back and forth, the reality is that if you just use this simple equation, eventually you'll start to realize that it's really difficult to find 20% And then once you find a home that meets the 20% rule, you'll go, oh, I'm going to buy this home because very clearly it's going to do well for me. You're going to come across one that's, oh, it's 25%. I should buy this home. Like it becomes really clear. That's the home I should buy, right? Because I've done this over and over again and they're all showing up as 15%. Now all of a sudden this home pops up and it's 25 and it's, that's the home I should go for, right? I love it. That's exactly what we do with TechVestor. It's like it hit, it hit our mark. Let's go for it because we know this is super rare right?
0: Yeah. And look, and thank you for pointing that out too. It's like, people get frustrated. They find, they, they do a little bit of work to a couple properties and they're like, ah, oh, there's nothing out there. Look, you, there's a lot of real estate out there. And you looked at 10 properties, like you, John, look 277 properties, made markets. 26 markets. 200, Mark, yeah. <laughs> markets, right? And you multiply say 10 properties for market. You're looking at some of those 2,700 properties you've looked at. So folks out there, if you, and this is the point that I want to make is, if you only looked at a few, you haven't done enough work. And the problem is, if you're always going in this in crazy detail on every single one, you're just burning yourself out, right? So you yeah. need these rules: the twenty percent rule, 50 percent, whatever your return hurdle is for you. And everyone's every, everyone's different. Everyone has a different philosophy and investment alternatives. But if it doesn't hit that, move on. Don't waste time. John doesn't waste time. If it's 13%, John's not doing the, his entire recipe on all those, right? So, okay, in the too hard bucket and you move on. And then when you see the 23%, 25%, and then you're like, okay, now your mind is fresh, you're ready to go and you're ready to attack it good with energy and vigor. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. a great, like John, I think it's a great place to, to wrap up the conversation. But these actionable, it may seem simple to you, to folks that do it all the time, but for folks out there that this isn't their day job, that's incredibly helpful to know that there's these kind of rule of thumbs out there that you have your masterclass on on YouTube and you have a consulting firm that you're helping other investors do this. So my traditional closing question that I always ask my guests is business is a team sport and Mm. wouldn't be here without others help along the way. What's the kindest thing that someone's done for you
1: to help you become a better investor today? His name is Mike McKay and he's from Jacksonville, Florida. And he was one of the first people that I helped with Airbnb data. And he literally referred me so many people. He referred so many people to me that it turned into a consulting firm, which now has helped like hundreds of people.
0: Wait, Mike McKay?
1: Mike McKay. Do you know him? McKay is one of our like, yeah,
0: that's funny that some people have said that McKay has helped us so much since we've known McKay since... I gotta get him on the pod. Actually, thanks for reminding me. You definitely uh, 2016, have to. we met Mike. Liz met Mike. Liz went to one of Mike's meetups here in New York City, and he was like the beginning, like one of the beginning of our Airbnb journey. That's really cool. that, yeah. that you Mike, mentioned McKay. And uh, we love, we, we love Mike. Always, I always meet up with Mike when he comes back to visit his sister here in New York, and we get coffee he, and catch up. He, I helped
1: his sister by by a name. Oh, the you're musical. the one that. Fa- oh, you found her an upstate place. She found it. I analyzed it. But yeah, that's the upstate place. Yeah. And I helped her tell her like how to put anyways, yeah. She so on that person. That's hilarious. That yeah, Mike. He's the best, is he not? Dude, I love
0: uh, Mike Mike has made me such a better investor, better operator, one of the most generous people. I'm gonna i I'm gonna immediately text him after we get off this. Yeah. Just one of the best people. Just like one of the one of the really like good people in short term rentals. He's helped so many
1: people. That's that's awesome that you, yeah. you said it's he, you said McKay. That is, that's awesome that you knew him because I honestly, I've told him so many times too. I'm like, man, I owe this all to you. Cause like I had uh, transitioned, right? Once I had sold the business, I'm like, what else should I maybe look into doing? And I got into renewable energy and I quickly realized like, this isn't for me, but Mike went, had to just literally just kept sending me, sending people to me, sending people to me being like, Hey, this is the guy you got to talk to this is the guy you got to talk to. And I helped, I started helping more and more people. And I noticed every single time I talked to these people and was helping them, I was just full of life. I was like, full of energy. And I'm like, I got to get back to this. You know what I mean? This yeah. is what I do. Yeah, it's all Mike, just from pushing so many people to me.
0: Yeah, no, no. So shout out shout out to Michael McKay. Yeah. He's one of the really good, yeah, like we've known him since 2016. That's awesome. This throughout. He's he's really one of the best people in short-term rentals, although he's not in short-term rentals anymore. No, he's not, you know, yeah. He, <laughs> he's doing something else on in, in Jacksonville on wholesaling, but I'm going to get him on the show. He is a, man is a wealth of knowledge and it's just great to, yeah, it's cool. Very cool. This is a short term rentals, and we can end here, like short term rentals is a small space. It really is. Everyone knows yeah. each other. Yep. So just encourage folks to join, contribute, be a positive influence, give back. It all comes back to you. And you're gonna be a better investor, a better person. And like you said, like your life is just better. You're gonna do something to enjoy around people that yeah. you like being with. It just money's money, right? But being able to do something that you enjoy and make money and being around people that you like being around. Yeah. If you could do that, like you're going to live a long, happy life.
1: Yes. hundred percent. And I think that's, there's a community in short term rentals, right? So you can make money, you can do these different things, but then you get to like connect with so many other people that also can join doing the exact same thing. And you're not competitors really, right? You're not stepping on each other's toes. And so, you get to collaborate, you get to learn from each other and still both be able to thrive in it. And I think that's really yeah. the, one of the best things about it, right? Like just even being able to have these conversations with you, getting to meet with you, getting to pull up my laptop while we're e- eating, just so I can help <laughs> answer the questions that we were going through. That's cool. Man. Um, yeah, no, 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 I love it. I
0: love it. And I think, yeah, like you're one of the good dudes in and I'm glad that we're able to make that connection. And the folks out there, go to in here, folks go to conferences, you'll find people that you vibe with. You'll find folks that you don't vibe with, but just you'll find your own tribe. It just makes the journey that much more enjoyable. John, thank you so much for spending time with me today with my community. really
1: appreciate all your insights. I appreciate you having me, Michael.